Welcome to Raise and Deploy, a podcast dedicated to international investments with insights from the world's leading investment professionals from New York to Timbuktu. Each episode, we bring on a new guest to discuss the trials and tribulations that occur when seeking substantial returns in foreign markets. We cover the full life cycle of an investment, from the moment you contemplate raising capital offshore to the final check cashed on the returns. Today, I sit down with Raul and Peter of Reaper AI. They are revolutionizing the global risk market using advanced machine learning and AI to predict the future. We discuss the nuances of social media, the current state of AI, and how all of this will impact international political events. Let's get into it. Raul, Peter, welcome. Welcome to uh, the Raise and Deploy podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having us on, Ashley. Yeah, it's Next. been it's brilliant to be here. Yeah, likewise, always great to, to speak to other, uh, you know, similar co-founders that are in the space. Um, uh, Reaper is building some incredible things there, and I can't wait to get into that. But first and foremost, let's put a voice to the to the name. Rural, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, more than happy to. Um, yeah, my name is Raul. I'm one of the co-founder and CEO of Reaper. We Pete and I built uh, started building this company out of honest common interest when we met in grad school. Um, we both went to NYU and we're doing our degrees in politics, economics, and causal analytics. And that's kind of how we kept meeting. And then it came to the fore. We were in political consulting and economic consulting, and we were couldn't understand why everyone was looking at risk as, uh, you know, in my, in my field, colors, uh, like, you know, you're looking at a dark yellow risk of something happening. And I was like, what? We need better numbers. I don't understand these colors. It's not that I'm not, I'm not colorblind, but it's just so useless. And so we kind of had a conversation about it. I was like, these, this isn't impacting, you know, any on the ground efforts, any macro decisions. These are just decks ending up in someone's waste pile, someone's storage. And we were like, we need to be the change we want to see. And a year ago, we, you know, quit our jobs, started this company, moved to London, and, and we're back in Boston, just making things happen in Techstars. That's awesome. I love it. I love coming together over a common problem, a, a common uh, goal, and then seeing where that goes through that. And then, and Peter, so you met Raul in uh, in grad school. Was this uh, COVID? Were you guys uh, uh, digital uh, buddies or were you actually able to see each other in person? You know, we, we actually met in person. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the, the way we met is we met something like three, four months before COVID. Uh, so we got some some kind of basics of our friendship going. And then uh, we kind of became friends as we as we both buckled down for COVID, as, as most people did in New York. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, we, we started Reaper with, as Rahul said, a purpose to kind of interconnect in a, a very, you know, complicated world uh where there are things going on every single day there are risks all around us and i think you know from early on in our grad school days we both understood that um there is a way to draw some statistical connections between everything that's happening around us whether it be in politics economics um and tie that back into risk so that is really the kind of mission that we're on at reaper um and we're we you know we couldn't be more excited to be to be you know there's probably no better time to be doing it than now yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I founded Diaglo uh, 2020. We launched officially in January uh, 2020, and obviously COVID happened a couple of months later. And you know, it 
completely different market, right? Interest rates went haywire. Currencies were going all over the place. We've already had political instability for a long, um, for you know, for a number of cycles now. Um, with that being said, so much has changed. Uh, you mentioned a couple of them there. How does one adapt to the ever-changing world that we're living in now? Uh, maybe Raul, you could go into to that first. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is difficult. Um, I think that's so nuanced a question and also gives rise to why we felt repo was necessary. We realized very quickly that like consulting as an industry was booming because of the different butterfly effects and problems really happening across the world. COVID aside, you're looking at, you know, um, the canal in Panama was clogged during the summer because of a drought that limited the freshwater that had uh, the, like lost the shipping industry half uh, a quarter of a billion dollars. These occurrences are like no longer anomalies. They're just happening at an increasing rate. And there is a limitation to still using people to handle these. The current method largely is to use consultants. You make a deck after the crisis happened and you run around desperately trying to get, figure out what went wrong. And then when you do figure out what went wrong, you already take a, a loss. You pray that you have insurance to cover it, and then you move on. We see that there's better ways forward, not only just proactive understanding of your insurance options and that do not protect you, but also ones that take risk into your own hands, both as a corporation as well as in governments and on an even personal level. That's why AI really is like this burgeoning option really that the ability to have you know as pete said earlier so many insights happening and things happening all around the world all the time it it, it really takes machines to do this properly I, I won't be able to i'm barely able to remember where i left my keys i can't manage 10 different news organizations and ships and planes great points uh, uh peter anything to add there i mean obviously we talked about um the the sheer amount of data that is available to us now, uh, the the, you know, the the technology that's helping us uh, organize this data, obviously, is, is one way of doing it. Anything else that you, you you see as an opportunity here in these these times, in particular? Yeah, you know, I think really what what all of this has taught us is that whether it be businesses or governments or even you know financial institutions, they constantly need to be you know, adapting new innovations to try and basically adapt to the to the changing landscapes. I mean, the, the way that the risk has been played out has been fairly stagnant uh, up until you really look at much of the populist explosions back in like 2013 and, and the follow on effect of things like the Greek crisis and the likes. And then, you know, Trump, Trump's election and Brexit in the UK. And then we had COVID, which really was the kind of the behemoth in, in the way that we understand the world, the way that this this world kind of works. So I think that's that's led to a massive reset uh, in the way that we perceive risks, perceive the world, understand how, whether it be economics or, you know, just, just, just functioning as people. And, you know, I think companies are increasingly starting to understand that they can't be stagnant, that they have to invest in innovation. And that's a, I think that's a great place to be as a company and, I guess as well in the U.S. as a country, because um, that's going to, you know, help not only understand the risks that we're currently facing, but also what opportunities can be exploited off the back end of that. You know, using AI to interconnect strings that have not been connected before is, I think, going to have a 
a massive impact on the way that business is done, on the way that resources are allocated around the world. And, and really, you know, it's, it's going to be a massive change in the way we do things. Completely agree. In my humble opinion, uh, you've got a bunch of uh, incredibly um, ready and capable emerging markets that are ready to emerge uh, and, and getting them and their data in front of the people in a organized and more uh, level playing over a more level playing field, I think is just so exciting, uh, in my opinion. Um, you're thinking, obviously, you've got all the data that you can have in places like the UK, in France, in in the US, in Canada. But when you go in further further afield into these uh, into these markets, um, it's so much more difficult. And yet it's there. They just need to be able to access it. No, uh, absolutely. I I would say like it's there it's already created to some extent and there's years of it it's just in non-traditional formats and non-traditional access like peter and i have been um, working with like and talking to a bunch of ngos about hey you guys have been doing regional analysis on a granular level for decades and you take surveys and research that you do you know very frequently and then you upgrade it into a single paper you make once a year this would be far more useful once you plug that into like a larger paradigm and look at the different patterns and shifts that happen in different locations around the world. Uh, furthermore, like the stuff that is available right now, to some extent, Peter and I have talked about it. It was even when we were like trying to figure out this is such a fantastic mission that we're kind of on, but who do we help with first? It became like, okay, do we look at security? Because Peter, do you remember where it was? I can't remember which country it was. Was it, was it like Libya or something? Um, the risk scores for like regional analysis. Can't I remember. can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But in the global, largely global South, like many different nations just have blanket scores of unsafe that the entire country in some absurd level is just an entire red flag. And that's, Yes, and when you put it on a global perspective and the safety and regulations, perhaps you can talk about the levels there. But in the country, people aren't dying as soon as they leave out their apartments. It's not that unsafe. It's just a relative format to what is, you know, usually the indices that they use. You can't say that, you know, every city center in the global south is a chaotic mess of war crimes when it's really not. It's just a perspective and shift. Completely. I mean, obviously, you could be talking about any country then, right? And I think that's the key thing that you were saying there, uh, Peter. I'm sure there's not just one, there's not just Libya, it's not just Nigeria. It's a host of every single country out there. Um, how much does uh, social media influence and some of these kind of less tangible uh, data spots uh, uh, come into your way of thinking when it comes to actually kind of organizing these data feeds and, and making a decision and, and predicting uh, outcomes? Yeah, so social media is interesting. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting field because, you know, social media as a, as a concept has, and, and frankly, the internet, they, they've kind of sprung about in the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, and they've really become big in the past 10 years and led to really being the, the kind of root causes of a lot of things that we see around the world. I mean, nowadays, you think of things like protests, social movements, uh, violent uprisings. I mean, you're seeing more and more, more of those things kind of start off on social media. You don't kind of 
it, people don't just aggregate in a in a town square anymore and then then decide to kind of you know get up and rise up against a a dictator or whoever it might be. So you know it, it is a a kind of treasure trove, uh, but it's always a kind of treasure hunt at the same time because you look at these data sources and I think there's tons of data that are that that is just extremely useful in helping understand how the world works, how the world operates, and how narratives are changing around the globe um at the same time it's also very easy to um you know at times get lost in all of the mess that's out there because you're digging really for a needle in in a haystack i mean i, I would say for every kind of two to three decent signals that you might have you've probably got like 10 to 15 pieces of uh of, of of just just rubbish that are lying around and that you need to kind of sift out and as we look at all these signals coming in i think they're increasingly becoming a kind of crucial part of getting a real-time pulse on on what's happening, on what real people are thinking on the ground, how they're communicating, how kind of trends and narratives are changing. And I think, you know, they're increasingly becoming the forefront of what you look at instead of things like social media and news media. Not that those are not in, important or interesting in any matter, but if you really want to get at, you know, where things are happening, where things are starting, Kind of social media has to be your your first place and your first kind of entry into into getting a pulse on whether it be developed or developing countries alike really fascinating stuff and and the fact that we're able to get access to this so readily now um i suppose the problem comes around um purifying that data making sure that it's actually real um you know ultimately there's a lot of uh issues around that right now we know that um we talked it's about tribalism in the past uh, over a couple of ep um, episodes and for me that's the scary thing right is you know how do we break down um exactly what is uh, truthful what's not opinion uh, and then ultimately make sure that we're not leading anyone in, in a in a in a bad way um where, what are the key concerns that you have around um uh, when when building this technology you know i i, I think there are a couple key concerns that we might have. I think top of mind for, for us, a lot of the times is looking at the kind of new wave of disinformation that's taking place around the world. I mean, you know, as, as great as uh, AI advancements have been in recent years, um, it, it does make it incredibly easy now to kind of spread disinformation, have agents out there on the web who are kind of, I would say, polluting uh, uh, what is getting out there into the public sphere, uh, whether it's, slightly incorrect or just blatantly wrong and not a right interpretation of, of kind of the truth. And I think that really comes back to your your kind of your, you talking about the importance of kind of cleaning data and getting the correct insights from data. Um, but I, I don't think the battle's lost there because, you know, just as, as, as much as there's disinformation getting out there, there's also helpful or kind of, you know, for good agents who are out there cleaning up that data space and who are trying to actively um, catch, you know, the perpetrators of, of some of this, uh, some of the misinformation out there. So I don't think the battle's lost, even though, you know, it is increasingly becoming a problem. Yeah, um, I'd love to chime in on that. It, it, Peter said something rather profound that it is an issue that the, you know, AI, either deep fakes or generative texts, you know, you have, larger than life like followings of, of individuals that have very low traction but uh, as pete mentioned like these are the cracks where you're like okay you say you have a hundred thousand followers but you have six comments um you have t uh, 10 comments that read like 
the you know like a Shakespearean play. I, I highly doubt that we have that much of a literate like relevant group that has perfect grammar. There are definitely ways and methods uh, that many of our peers are working in trying to mitigate this misinformation. Our approach also goes with this misinformation, and Pete touched on this, that social media is definitely the hottest touch point. That if you were to sniff that, that, that would be the closest thing to figuring out what's happening at this moment. But other maybe old school or alternative trade in, and data, uh, we, we're looking at like plane data, ship and market data, where you can actually plot ship movements every six minutes around the world, have so much value that is underused and underappreciated, especially in a world where you start not being able to trust some of this more media-driven pieces. So when you're looking at things like, oh, there's going to be a food shortage and we should panic and buy more toilet paper because last time that was a concern, um, check, check if this is an anomaly. Check you're able to start piecing algorithms together to be like, no, there, I haven't seen any real changes in the, in the patterns. This is just a real large hysteria piece that you know I, I don't want to you know it's definitely not some toilet paper company trying to get sales up but it's rather <laughs> just general hysteria to see what's going on so i forgot about that believe it or not oh. um, we went off the off the show was a good right? time <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's talk about some of the positives, right? So, talk about how uh, Reaper are using um, this technology, how you plan, and what your vision uh, for the company is, and and what what's exciting you most about this technology. I mean, I, I think there's a there's a lot of excitement around AI in general, machine learning, and the kind of ease of use of those technologies. I, I think it's very easy to overcomplicate AI at times. Uh, people love to throw all sorts of interesting terms around, throw all sorts of confusing kind of metrics and ideas out there. But at the end of the day, I think the most interesting part of AI and really breaking it down into, into to, to regular kind of English is the ability to use computers uh, to, to get an understanding, to get insights into problems that humans just, just can't really solve themselves. Um, you know, as we've talked about, there's so much data out there. There are so many touch points and there are so many things happening all at once. Uh, and this comes back to a lot of what we deal with on a daily basis where there's no way that a single person can analyze or look at 15 to 20 crises happening at once and get a good understanding of where things are going to go next and how those interrelate. But frankly, with the ability of, of AI and I guess the, the incorporation of, of modern day computers, we can get better and better insights into that data and into the way that the world works and the way that it's gonna work in the coming years. So I think for me, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the excitement there and, and a lot of the helpful stuff really comes down to just being better in, in what we can do as people with kind of machines or AI algorithms helping us make those decisions. Um, it's not about replacing people. It's more about assisting the way that we live and helping us helping us improve the way that we live um, and understand risks, the financial sector, and, and whatever it might be. Really good point. I and mean, I think what you've said there uh, resonates so uh, profoundly with me, uh, having access to, you know, has has Einstein um, to help them solve a problem. 
Uh, I think it's in, it's pretty incredible to kind of think about what we would be capable of if we were all to have access to the same mentors and the same people that some of the you know the brightest minds get access to. Uh, I think it's a really powerful kind of point. Um, and I said this on the last show. Um, I see AI as a as a co-pilot, not an autopilot. Uh, you know, the job is uh, you know for us to ultimately steer the ship, right? Um, Roel, any any comments there on on, on how? Um, you plan on utilizing this technology in particular uh, to um, you know, to ultimately build your business? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it is 100% like Peter and I started building our uh, code base as well as knowledge graphs, algorithms, data sets in 2022. So it was really before the LLM boom, which itself is another facet of AI that is incredible. Um, we've adapted and adopted parts of it that make a lot of sense where not only is it able to understand sentiment definitely at a better rate than more traditional like beta tests and things like that, but also increase implementation and accessibility for non-technical users, which Peter kind of mentioned that providing the internet and computers and information hasn't been the issue the last 10 years. Um, I will say like, Ashley, I'm sure you saw it, like the ML ops generation of like the last five years where hey, it's like, hey, send us your data. I'm gonna send you 1000 graphs back and um, enjoy, good luck, have a good time. Was a nightmare, like, cool, I have all the graphs, but like, I, that means I have all the graphs. Like, my God. And so instead of this, it's more like, hey, I actually want to see these five things. Can I see this as a tracker? Can I have some access and control and into seeing what this looks like in a custom, more personalized way? I think that that also scares people, that they, the LLMs of, of sentience, that they seem so realistic and can talk to you in, you know, very much like emulating your grandma or something is very freaky to an extent. But Inherently, it is a trained system that has a set that it is trying to perform off of that allows you to interact with it in this way and say what you want it to do. There's a side of it where you're like, this is somewhat a make-believe scenario where you have a pet toy and you're pretending what the voice is like. And if you pretend hard enough as a kid, you fall into the belief that it's real as well. And I'm kind of hoping that like with time and like with the maturity of this of AI and the space, we also have the cognizance to see that it is a little bit of a make-believe animal. Um, and we were like still looking at how we can let these instruments have some utility beyond just LLMs and regurgitating what we train off of it. Such a great answer. I, I love that. And I've been guilty of it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we were stuck with um, Python and that was all we had, right? Oh, it was yeah. data, model it out, figure out, you know, if it's useful or not, and then, and you know, create that. And hopefully it's replicable and useful to multiple people, right? Um, but the truth is the way that this technology is able to interact with that data, one, extract the data, but obviously run these models, give them the insights that they need at their discretion, how they want it, the charts that they want to see, and then obviously help them understand what those charts mean and what the data means as well is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And it was an epiphany moment for me as well when I realized how we were going to be interacting with our clients and how our clients are going to be more importantly interacting or potentially creating their own very sophisticated models on our platform. It was, you know, as I said, an epiphany moment and uber exciting. Um, I couldn't uh, tell you how quickly I wanted to get my hands on this technology. I mean, um, 
it definitely changed the way we're even we've like planned out our structure as a business because like 2022 we were like all right we're gonna have to do the web app uh csv api whole suite you know the traditional SaaS offerings and then we're like wait what do we want to serve and is the adaptation and adoption of apis improving because of this absolutely does that mean that we're looking at like setting up gpt options and chatbots yeah this is it's really changed what that looks like as a traditional path forward because i i don't even know how many web apps exist out there but i assume it's from the SaaS generation in the millions yeah absolutely and also the way that we charge for these products are going to, is obviously going to be different as well i mean we're going to have different fees right mm-hmm. uh, as a as a as a startup it was you know yeah you can charge a, a per user fee per monthly fee um bolt on widgets uh etc um but at the end of the day does that scale in a data consumption world um probably yep. not um you know data costs are going to ultimately be expensive um and it'd be interesting to see how that kind of filters down to the lowly startup community like us um uh, we'll see how it all kind of pa- uh, pans out talking about startups um you know you know we're both going through it right now um you know um, Obviously, you've—I wouldn't say that you've pivoted, but you've certainly embraced this new technology. Uh, how are you finding the environment right now? How's um, how's the raise going? Um, and you know, tell us a little bit about um, uh, the company from that perspective. Oh, happy to jump on this. Um, it's going well. It's largely, uh, which is a strong statement. I understand that the funding environment, everyone talks about. Oh my. God, this is like the worst thing I've seen in many moons. And they're like, yeah, because you're comparing it to the anomalous 2021. I think that the potential, and we talked about it a lot, especially like in Techstars, as well as between Peter and I, the potential for revenue, as well as looking for execution and actually scale as opposed to a dream is definitely a shift where things are more focused on, can you build this thing? Can you do these dreams? And can you make this happen? And to some extent, that is, you know, a difference in what was pre-seed and seed, you know, just two years ago. But five years ago, it was a pretty similar game. Um, we've done the gambit of of different things in life where, you know, things were difficult. Uh, I worked in disaster relief and and SNR, and and Pete grew up in Africa from pretty much zero to ten, where we had, you know, different types of lives in more complicated environments, and we've been on visas where we had to try and figure out jobs. The startup and fundraising environment is about getting your message to stick, that you believe that this can change the world, at least not you, if not just you, the entire team and the company. I think that driving that home is the same task as it's always been. It's about what that looks like afterwards that's changed. And if anything, AI has made it easier for people to understand the augmentation and value that comes out of it. But the difference is that it still has to provide value. and we believe strongly that that is core part of our business and core part of what we want moving forwards. As for the raise, we're kind of planning one later next year in January. Um, Just we're so heads down and it's so into work with clients that it's just super exciting to be running through everything. But we're we're very, very hopeful for things moving forwards. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to add to that. I, I, I actually think that now is a fantastic time for startups as well as startup investors. Um, I, it might not be a popular opinion, and I know that there are a lot of startups out there struggling, but I think, you know, given the fact that we're moving back to 
metrics and 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 basically assessments that are based on startup execution. I think that really you know creates an environment where a raise and a company's success is once again kind of directly linked to successful execution and and kind of successful ideas. You know, on the capital allocation side, of course, you you're going to be. I think quality is going to go up, and it's going to have to go up um, just because of many of the shifts that we've seen throughout 2020, the COVID era, the you know zero interest rate policies, and and easy money. Uh, they they never breed great kind of environments, uh, as we oftentimes find out. And I think, you know, on the startup side, just having access to the to the tools that we have access to now, I think there's never been a better time to be a startup. I mean, you look at simple tools that you have as 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 a as a small company, the likes of being able to interact with Chat GPT, run code through that, find out errors, um, solve things at 10x the speed of of what you were able to do a year and a half ago. I think you know, it's just going to accelerate development. It's going to accelerate success, uh, probably accelerate failure as well. But I think, you know, out of that success, there's going to be some really great companies that are going to be developed in, you know, record amounts of time. And I think it's going to be a, a really great, you know, time to be a startup in the next year, two, three, four, five. Hell, you know, I, I might be completely wrong, but but I think there's there's a lot there that's good. I completely agree. I mean, to kind of like finish that point off, uh, I think you're also going to get better people out of it. Um, you're going to have people that are far more educated, well-read, can converse and communicate um, their vision quicker. Someone like myself, I mentioned this a couple of times on our show, I'm dyslexic. I really struggled in the first couple of uh, years to uh, articulate the vision, not just to my team, but also to you know uh, potential investors and clients, etc. Once you have um, these tools, you can put together and summarize your bullet points that you're trying to get across in a more articulate way. It resonates better and resonates more quickly. And I wasn't doing myself justice, and I felt like um, the technology has absolutely helped me do that. Another thing that you mentioned real earlier, which I loved, uh, I'm definitely going to to put this into the snippets, is um, goal versus mission. Right. One of the things that really um, resonates me about your um, uh, mission there is that it is absolutely strong. It's about getting this this um, this value, this data, uh, and you know, and, and ultimately democratizing data to anyone that needs it and has it as well, which I think is really really powerful uh, stuff. And and you need a mission. You can't just do it for a goal to make a billion dollar. Uh, business right that doesn't uh, resonate with investors and it won't resonate with your clients uh, so really powerful stuff there um let's uh, get to the get to the crux of it and, and, and wrap things up now uh one of the things that we we talked about obviously you've, you've gone through uh tech stars uh, i'm sure you met a lot of great mentors along the way i know you're well read um uh rule uh, talk about some of the the people that have helped get you to where you are i'd say it's definitely people we've met along the way. Uh, it's so tropey, but it's definitely people we've met along the way that have helped us in strange times. Um, either sometimes from even random cold outreach or from Techstars, the lead mentors. Um, we've we, The Techstars program is very, very mentor focused, which we really valued um, then have the system where they let you go and, and talk to so many different potential mentors and isolate out the mentors that really resonate with you and match with them well. Um, from that, we've gotten four brilliant lead mentors, um, one an incredible woman named Bridget, um, and three solid guys, Mike, Dan, and 
and Andy and all of the above have provided such light on how we move forwards, be it from a product side of, hey, why are you guys building a web app? Stop that right now. You guys are you guys are data focused. And we're like, oh, yeah, that that is what we do. We are stats nerds that got bigger machinery to not just do it by hand anymore. And on the sales side, Bridget has largely been an angel just trying to understand our, and refine the narrative, as you said. Like, I would say a year ago, oh my God, I was trying to convince Peter and like some other people in the Textos batch, we should play the game of show me your first pitch deck and drink every time you see a problem with it. <laughs> um, or, or like just share the first pitch deck. And my God, I'm assuming, Ashley, it's very similar. Like, you don't want a single, you sent that to someone and you're like, can I call that back from the internet itself? <laughs> My name is on that. And we came from consulting. So it was even worse because it's just a different sort of skill set, different sort of game that you're getting to the point of who you are, what you can bring to the table and why that matters. And you have to do that so, to have people understand you very quickly and then resonate beyond you know the 10 or X so slides they have with you. I think that, the mentors have been so crucial with like bringing that to pace. Um, I, I personally uh, met someone named Carson Carson Khan, and he was been brilliant to, as uh, uh, has their own startup further down the line, and provided at times very brutal feedback of, "Hey, I don't know what you're doing here. That's all." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, if where'd you go from that?" Genuinely, but the thing is. He and I talk about it a lot, that hypothesis busting or like myth busting is the best part of the game. Is yeah. that is the most useful part that any mentor and anyone can ever provide you is like, oh, I don't want to stroke your ego or play safe. I know that you're here to, you know, have your feelings ignored and just go to the straight of the point of how I can make you better. And that is the most thing. That's the thing I think at least I find most valuable. Pete? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I always say this. I think the worst thing you could do to us as a startup is tell us that we're chasing an amazing idea when when you don't believe in it and you don't see it as a mentor. Uh, I think that's the best thing you can do because, frankly, you know, a startup is never short on ideas. I think that the point that stuck with me most is you're more likely to die of indigestion than you are of, of an existential crisis of ideas. You know, there's so many ideas out there and you can generate them. Uh, but it, it's really about kind of figuring out what it is that you want to pursue. You know, you have 24 hours in a day. Uh, if there are two of you, you got you have 48, but you're going to be asleep. You're going to be eating some of them. And really, you have, you know, 16 hours of time to execute with. And if you mislead us, if you tell us to chase the wrong things, that's going to be that's that's going to ruin the company, basically. Um, and I think the the real power of of the Techstars Network is Techstars Network, as well as the mentors, both uh, that we've been assigned as a company and those in kind of residence, um, as we are here in Boston, is the fact that you can speak to people who have been through your in your shoes kind of three, four, five times, who have 25 years of experience under their belt, and they can see they can see what they've done before. They can see that you're going down the same path that I've been down, and they will just say, okay, look, we need, we need to rethink. Frankly, we need to change up the tactics here. And that's been amazing for us. As much as that's left us with, uh, you know, some tough evenings where you have a grand vision and then it gets destroyed, I think having that grand vision destroyed has, has been a lot more useful at times than, uh, than having it kind of propped up uh, in false hope. 
Yeah, there's so many uh, great uh, tidbits there and, and, and some facts. A couple of them, uh, chief deck officer should be a title. <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as a CEO. I think that's actually what your, your job is to do, is to create pitch decks and to, to rip them up and start again over and over and over again. And to forget uh, old lines. I think yeah. that's a crucial thing. Like, how do you forget things that you were like, this sounds great. And then a month later, you're like, I can't believe I thought that sounded okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and you go through these uh, these decks and you think you're getting closer and closer every single time that you do it, but it is absolutely soul-destroying. One of the things I like, and um, I've been in sales my entire life, right? So very different background uh, uh, to you guys. My job was to sell other people's products, though, right? Now, mm-hmm. when you're selling your company, it's very much like, so, and someone says they don't like your idea or they don't like your deck or they don't like your business model. It's literally like saying that you've got an ugly child and that <laughs> your baby is very, very ugly. And you get you get so precious about, uh, and you get so much ego based around your ideas and you realize that it's not that they're saying one they're not saying that your baby's ugly they're not saying that the idea is is absolutely ludicrous it's that it just they're saying you're a parent is that you're a horrible parent but they're saying yeah well you know there is something to be said about learning how to be a parent as well right i've got two kids six and four years old you don't actually think that you're a great parent right you're learning every day at that but i would say that the you know the 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 ideas are there and the passion for solving that is, is there there's a lot of it comes down to how well you articulate that vision to people, how broad that vision is, and can they get behind it? And it, you know, one of the things I've seen a, a lot of is if you're pitching to the wrong people, that will never get your idea. They'll never be able to help you deliver your idea. Then they're the wrong person, right? I mean, that's that's the way it is, right? So, you, and there's a thousand other investors that you can go to with this that will potentially get the idea. Uh, but some really good ideas in there as to how to kind of um, maximize. Uh, the mentors around you. Um, I'm really interested to to unpack more about the uh, you know the the true incubator uh, situation that you have. The fact that you're in um, in residence there, because I know that you're able to tack, tackle way more uh, problems more consistently when you have people um, uh, in house with you. So that's great. Um, well, thanks very much, guys. This is a really fun. Um, uh, uh, really fun episode. I really enjoyed uh, learning more about uh, Reaper. Let's um, just kind of sign off and and, and uh, learn a little bit more about how we can get in contact with you, uh, so we can follow your journey. Uh, Rule, where can we find yeah. find you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, feel free to check our website out. It's uh, Reaper.ai. Very simple. Alternatively, just look us up on LinkedIn. My name is Rahul File, um, and that's Peter Hovat. <laughs> yeah, uh, we are we are very friendly. So if you reach out to us, you'll you'll, you'll most likely get a response back, unless yeah, we're some, extremely busy, in which case we apologize. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll be transparent. The startup experience is an amazing one. It allows you to flex like all that you want without stop, but also that's the danger that you can just pour your soul straight into it. And I love it, and I know Peter does too. Um, but it's it's a ride that you have to be ready for, and you have to. I actually wanted to say this, you have to like ignore on the mentor side, ignore bad mentors, ignore like a lot of the internet, Ashley, I'm sure you feel this, like that is just like, oh yeah, I'm a billionaire. And you're like, I don't think you are. I've never heard of you. And you're like, but apparently they have large words of wisdom for how to be successful and how to, you know, raise and raise a company. And you just have to find the people that have, as Pete said, 
gone down similar paths, even if it's for different like different areas. Um, an incubator, accelerator, there are places that you find people of similar natures. Um, we've both talked about it that sometimes it's a little dangerous because you're like, oh, we're all working 20 hour days. Excellent. This is fine. <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly it comes to that like, hey, we should all not do this, huh? But the group think is so strong. Um, it's it's a lovely experience. And I, I, I wish it upon anyone that wants to kind of get into the space. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing better than learning with other people right and be motivated by other uh, other people going through the same trials and tribulations that you're going through and look ash i'm just going to say i i think that i personally think that first pitch deck is a thing of beauty i mean there's nothing better than <laughs> seeing your your first pitch deck but then saying to yourself yeah but look at where i am now because yeah. frankly if there was never a first pitch deck you'd never be where you are right now so i think i think it is a thing of beauty at the end of the day and and we should probably do more of those uh kind of show and tell sessions <laughs> i'll show oh, you mine if you show me yours <laughs> uh, oh, tragic i love it uh, love it really great uh, uh to get to know you both and uh, best of luck with reaper and uh, we're really uh rooting for you guys over here and uh, we'll be in touch awesome thank you ash well there you have it Roland and peter have created an exciting use case for ai with their startup reaper I particularly love their insights on how international organizations can better account for risk in a complex and ever-changing world. I also found their thoughts on risks of social media noise and tribalism to be absolutely fascinating. Thanks for tuning in to Raise and Deploy, the international investing podcast brought to you by Diaglo, the go-to FX platform for global investors. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to the next one. If you or anyone else you know has experience in investing internationally and would like to be our next guest, please reach out to us at jb at diaglo.com.